Hey everyone, welcome back to the Monday edition of the Goody Reader Radio Show. My name is Michael, and I'm joined by Jeremy Greenfield, fresh out of London, England, for the book fair. How's it going? Good, good. I, I got back to my apartment at 1 a.m. last night, so I'm, I'm very fresh. So this was your first London book fair. Uh, what, what were your overall impressions of the event? Well, I've been to quite a few large book fairs now in the past three years, and I love them. I think they're, they're really fun. You're surrounded by books and bookish people, and if you love books the way I do, uh, then it's a great time. Um, you know, as for how it compares to other events, um, I, I really liked it. I thought it was very manageable size. Uh, I thought there were a lot of people there that I knew, a lot of people there that I didn't know, so a good mix of people. And, um, you know, the main thing that I learned, and I'm actually blogging about this as we speak, and I should probably publish in, in, as soon as we uh, finish recording this, is that the UK digital publishing industry is really just caught up to the U.S., um, even after a year or two ago being you know, as much as a year or two years behind. Um, the, the sales there have really picked up. Um, the readers there are very sophisticated, the customers, and the publishers are doing things that are as sophisticated, if not more sophisticated, than what publishers are doing um, in the U.S. And they're having you know, the same kinds of conversations that we're hearing uh, over here. In one area, I would say that maybe they're a little bit behind in, in the way they, they think about marketing and digital marketing, but um, not far behind at all, if any. Uh, so, so overall, I had a great time. I met a lot of great people. Uh, I learned a lot. And you know, mostly my eyes were open to the U.S. isn't the only market really leading in the ebook revolution anymore. So how do you feel that the U.K. legs behind the U.S. or North America in general in terms of uh, marketing ebooks and things like that? So, you know, they're having, they're doing a lot of the same things that U.S. publishers have been doing, but for a little bit less time. So focusing on building author platforms and using new kinds of digital marketing techniques and new media techniques. Um, you know, using Facebook as heavily and consistently as U.S. publishers is, is not as ingrained over there as it is over here. I mean, they're basically caught up, but maybe they're asking the same kinds of questions that U.S. publishers were asking, you know, six months ago or a year ago. Um, so, so I would say largely they're at the same stage, um, but you, you might you know, hear some conversations in the hallway that remind you of conversations that you heard in the hallway six months or a year ago at U.S. publishing conferences about, you know, the use of Facebook and author platforms and, and other social media. So right before the London Book Fair occurred, there was the Digital Minds Conference. You attended that. Yeah, and, and business conferences in the U.K., from what I gather, are different than in the U.S., um, at least from what I've been told, and this one um, certainly fit that pattern. Uh, you know, this, this had fewer sessions, a lot more emphasis on networking, um, more emphasis on thinking about sort of the bigger picture and bigger thoughts rather than the nitty-gritty. Uh, and I thought it was an interesting conference. Um, you know, I got a lot out of it. Uh, there was a lot of talk about Amazon. I have to say that in the U.K., Publishers seem a little bit more willing to, to say things, uh, to say negative things about Amazon uh, that they may be thinking. And I think they're also more willing to say you know, positive things about Amazon they might be thinking. They're just more willing to talk about Amazon, um, maybe just slightly. Uh, but we had an author, um, Anthony Horowitz, as a keynote um, for the, the Digital Minds Conference, opening up the conference. And, and he was very candid about his thoughts on Amazon, as are many authors, um, basically saying he thought Amazon is evil, and I think he called Amazon bastards, but he also said he loves them and he uses them all the time, uh, which I think is how a lot of publishers 
feel about Amazon that you know it, it's it's a it's a force to be reckoned with in the business. They don't always like how Amazon does business with them, but they absolutely need Amazon. And you know I think the more lucid and candid publishers will say that you know Amazon uh, really has led the the ebook revolution and the book publishing industry for a while now, and in a lot of ways has been great for book publishers, uh, even as much as they may complain about uh, Amazon privately. It's the villain you love to hate. Right. So what is the deal with uh, Amazon Publishing? Uh, they've been, I guess they announced that they're going to put 500 titles out, uh, both in the UK and the US uh, this year. And during the London Book Fair, Amazon was like, you know, bidding on books, prospective books, authors, trying to get rights and things like that. Uh, what were your impressions there about uh, Amazon Publishing? So I sat down with the head of international for Amazon Publishing, and uh, her name is Sarah Jane Gunter, and she comes from the retail side of Amazon, bounced around different areas in Amazon, sort of one of these you know, talented executives that moves around and learns all the business and can sort of do everything, really an Amazon loyalist. Um, who has always been interested in books and is learning the publishing business, um, like many people are in, in over the past few years. Um, and she was talking about this expansion and all the new books they're going to publish and how ambitious they are and all the hiring they're going to do. Um, and really the main message of what she was telling me was that Amazon is going to be, Amazon Publishing is going to be very author focused. Um, and the reason I was, I was asking her about this is because, you know, Amazon has this sort of uh, very passionate customer focus that you could see when you read about Amazon or you read Amazon uh, things that Amazon writes about itself, or if you're a customer of Amazon, you know the company has low prices and very good customer service. Um, and she says that she wants to take that to, to authors. Um, but in a way, you know, Amazon could look at authors as suppliers, and Amazon has not been as friendly to suppliers. Uh, as it has been to customers, or at least as cuddly to suppliers as it has been to customers. So I kind of wanted to hear some resolution of that. You know, when will the uh, the needs of Amazon's, the desires of Amazon's, you know, paying customers um, conflict with the desires and needs of Amazon's authors? Um, and and I really wanted to talk eventually about, uh, you know. Kindle Direct Publishing. I mean, we saw the ACX Audio Exchange, which authors use and publishers use to create audiobooks, change its terms to make it a lot less attractive for the authors and for the suppliers financially. Yeah, they lowered um, the. Are we going to see any? Yeah, they lowered the royalty yeah. rates. Um, they lowered the payments. Are we going to see that with Kindle Direct Publishing? Um, right now, Amazon Publishing is really making a splash in the author community by giving better royalties than other publishers and being very, very generous toward authors. Are we going to see that die down eventually? as the, the company tries to get more margin and, and, a, and a more significant business out of it. Um, it almost seems like the way Amazon treats authors, they, they treat authors differently than other suppliers, and you wonder if that's ever going to change. Well, when they, I remember we talked about this before when they entered uh, some new markets, especially in India. They actually had lowered the rates by half, and it didn't really, uh, no one like harpooned Amazon for that. It was just basically Amazon moved into India, uh, you know, Kindle Direct Publishing moved into India, and that's where it ended. But no one really talked about, you know, the, the royalties for Kindle Direct Publishing being cut in half. And you would figure that. People would be jumping all over that story, lambasting Amazon for, you know, shortchanging authors. But I think that Amazon, you know, could be in the position to lower royalties. Um, you know, I think that people in, in the U.S. would be the strongest 
against it. So I would say if Amazon's going to do that, they should probably do that in sort of their alt markets first, where they don't really have like the angry pitchfork mob to contend with and, you know, lower, you know, basically if they lower global revenues and then get to the UK and US last, I think that they could manage that a little bit easier. Do you think Amazon's going to do it? What were your impressions? I don't really know. I mean, one thing, it's always hard to say what Amazon will or won't do. The rumors fly. Um, you know, one thing that I feel, and, you know, I have no direct knowledge of this, is that Amazon isn't going to try to corner the book market and then raise prices on consumers, which was sort of one of the early things that a lot of publishers said about it. You know, that said, Amazon has been strong-arming its suppliers throughout its history, and that includes publishers. Um, you know, off the record, I've heard from many publishers saying that every year Amazon comes to the negotiating table with a stronger position, um, and it knows that the publishers really need it. Uh, so I, will it do that with authors? I mean, authors are suppliers for Amazon, but Amazon contends that authors are customers. Um, at the same time, they give authors a very good margin. Is, is it the kind of thing that Amazon philosophically believes in, you know, cutting out the middleman to the raw supplier and the raw supplier's authors, or, um, or, or is it something where Amazon's using authors right now to help weaken publishers uh, until it doesn't need them as much anymore? I don't really know. It's very, very hard to say. I'll tell you this. Um, you know, authors, especially in the U.S., have, have become huge fans of Amazon and big supporters of working with Kindle Direct Publishing. And, you know, Amazon has been nothing but, but friendly to them for the most part. And I wonder uh, if Amazon did make a move in terms of changing the royalty structure, um, you know, would authors be up in arms? And, and you know, would uh, com competitive services like Nook and Kobo's Writing Life be able to make inroads with them? Well, if there was a, a vanguard of self-publishing, Hugh Howey would be it. And he spoke uh, at, uh, I believe, one of the Digital Minds conferences that you attended. Uh, what were your impressions on what Hugh Howey had to say? Well, you know, I like Hugh, and we've had our, our public conflicts um, over some author information, author data, let's call it. Um, but you know, it was him and uh, John Fine, uh, who's the head of author and, and publisher relations at Amazon, and another author on stage. And you know, I, I, all those people are very, very smart people. I mean, I know John and Huey pretty well um, from from talking to them and reporting on them and reading things they've written uh, over the years. Um, but this is this is basically a big ad for for Kindle Direct Publishing. It really wasn't all that informative, and there wasn't a question and answer session at the end. And it was just sort of um, you know, a love fest for, for Amazon, um, which is fine. I mean, I think Hugh Howey has a lot of reason to, to you know, love Amazon, and, and John Fine obviously works for Amazon. He's a very um, out, outgoing and positive spokesperson for Kindle Direct Publishing. And, and let's be honest, you know, Kindle Direct Publishing, you know, Kobo's Writing Life, you know, Nook Press, uh, Smashwords, the, the, the self-publishing revolution really ignited by Kindle uh, is a miracle for authors. I mean, it's it's a it's a great era that we're living in um, in terms of being an author, and I think you know in terms of the the published word, um, it's it's a time when people can really put book length works out there into a distribution center where they can they can get it to millions of people, and I think that's amazing, and I think it's a miracle. But the session really wasn't all that informative, and what I really wanted to ask them was, you know, is, will Kindle Direct Publishing ever change its terms with authors, and will it lower those royalty payments as it's done with other kinds of suppliers? 
Um, I never really got a chance to do that, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, okay, so before we wrap up the Amazon segment and talk about some other things, I actually read something very interesting at uh, Jeff Bezos' letter to shareholders. Uh, it was very long, probably the longest that he had ever written. And it was in classic Amazon fashion, you know, millions of this, millions of that with no definitive figures. Uh, but we, the only definitive figures we have is with uh, Mayday, which was a new feature in uh, the Amazon Kindle HDX line of tablets. So the 7 and 8.9. Uh, Mayday is basically a button that you press where you actually get to speak to a live Amazon rep uh, via video chat. And some of the statistics here are actually pretty amusing. So 35 Mayday tech advisors have received marriage proposals. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, 475 customers asked to talk to Amy, which was the girl from the commercials. Um, mm-hmm. 109 people asked for help ordering pizza. Um, wow. 44 Mayday advisors have sung happy birthday to customers. Oh, wow, that's amazing. And there was a whopping 650 instances of Mayday advisors being sung to by customers. Wow. Well, that actually appeals to me because I like singing to people. Uh, Me too. Um, Okay, so... One of the last things out of uh, the London Book Fair was Barnes & Noble executives being very optimistic about uh, international expansion for not only the the, uh, the bookseller, but mainly having to do with like Nook Press. And I believe that you had a chance to speak to Sharissa Horner, who's basically in charge of Nook Press. Yeah. So, you know, of course, Barnes & Noble had some bad press recently. Um, and mostly coming out of its financials for Nook. Um, the financials are not, have not been good um, for Nook, and the company seems to be floundering a little bit uh, on the digital side. Although it is cutting its losses, its revenues are also decreasing dramatically. So um, I shouldn't have been surprised, though, to hear the Nook executives be very positive about what they're doing. I mean, what are they supposed to do, give up? And, and even if they have, even if they are privately looking for other jobs, and I have heard murmurs of uh, some, some fairly key uh, Nook folks, you know, looking around for other things. We've seen a, a sort of brain drain at the top of the company toward the end of last year. Um, you know, they're not going to tell me that, and, and nor should they. That would be very irresponsible of them. So they really painted me uh, their, their positive version of the picture of what's happening with Nook, and they're optimistic that, you know, the international expansion is going uh, apace and that it will uh, be successful. I mean, the e-book reading market in many countries right now is, is very wide open. I mean, Amazon certainly has the inside track uh, in most of the countries, if not all of them. But um, but there are other players that could come in and, and, and do well, and maybe Nook figures out a way to get it right in some of these places. You know, the interesting thing that um, we discussed, though, or in regard to Nook Press, was that you know not only are self-published authors using Nook Press to uh, you know publish titles in places like Germany and France, but smaller publishers that Nook doesn't have the manpower to go to and form the kinds of deals that it can with the bigger publishers um, are using Nook Press to get their books on Nook. Uh, it's just much easier. So it's not just for, for self-published authors, it's also for small publishers, um, which and Nook doesn't really have the manpower to get to. And, and they themselves maybe don't have this level of sophistication to do distribution deals uh, with Nook, but they want to get their books up quickly and efficiently. And so Nook Press has been a, a good conduit for that for them. 
it almost feels like with this whole international expansion i've heard this song and dance before if you remember uh former nook ceo almost this time last year said that you know by the end of the year they're gonna expand into like 12 different markets which never really materialized he was ousted uh and uh so it almost feels like I've heard this before, and every time Barnes & Noble is talking about expansion, it's almost like the same song and dance year in and year out, but there's really no movement on that front unless you count for um, their deal with Microsoft where they had a Nook app for a while that you know was basically their gateway. And if you look at Nook Press, the only way that people could read self-published titles via Nook Press is via the Windows 8 app. And that app is actually going to be shuttered by Microsoft in a few months. So where does that put Barnes & Noble with their distribution of content? Because Microsoft is basically developing their own reader app powered by Barnes & Noble, and Microsoft has said that Barnes & Noble has to shut down their Windows 8 app, and instead of developing on their own, they're going to be developing for Microsoft, so Microsoft will uh, pay them a little bit more money on top of that $300 million that they uh, already committed to them to have Barnes & Noble develop for them. So this is an interesting conundrum because as Nook Press expands, if the only gateway is their Windows 8 app and that's being shuttered, you know, by the summertime, where does that put Barnes & Noble customers to be able to actually read the content? Because you can Barnes & Noble doesn't market e-readers or tablets in those markets. And even if, you know, even if someone in France bought a Nook e-reader, they can't connect up to the France store because there is no France store and Nook, you know, press titles for France are intermixed with like Nook UK. So it seems very convoluted right now to me. What are your thoughts? So the way that the, that the executive spun this for me was that this is a very positive thing for the company. You know, I don't know about the readers who have already invested in the platform, um, but basically they are going in their mind from being this third-party app that you have to download to being the, you know, the books section on the Windows 8 platform. And they believe that, that puts them in a much, much, much stronger position in terms of people buying the tablets, which, you know, who, who buys these tablets anyway? Nobody's buying them. Um, to having them actually use the app, rather they have to download the app and then sort of, you know, figure it out from there. Um, so, you know, I think that they see this as a positive development for the distribution of content via the Barnes & Noble and Nook platform. Um, you know, clearly the branding uh, isn't there, but, you know, Nook doesn't really have... Uh, consumer brand in any of those countries anyways. So my question is then, do you think that we've all heard that Barnes & Noble is going to be releasing new tablets this year? You know, they, they, they've publicly said it at shareholder meetings. Um, it, it's public knowledge. Do you think that the next generation of Nook tablets will be running Windows as part of the Microsoft deal? But will if it runs Windows, it will uh, allow more customers in these countries that Barnes & Noble wants to expand to, to be able to purchase Nook devices to read those Nook titles? Um, that's a really good question. That's a really good question, and I don't know the answer to it. If I had to guess, I, I would guess that it's going to still run Android. Um, that that Nook, Nook, is that's what they've developed on. That's what they've been familiar with. They've developed their own uh, marketplace, although they've moved away from that in the past year or two. 
Um, so I think that that's probably what they'll do just because that's what they've done. Um, but, you know, it's really impossible to say. That's a, it's a really good question. I mean, I, ultimately, I hate to say this, but I don't think the answer is that relevant because, you know, the Microsoft uh, platform hasn't really sold very well and the Nook platform hasn't sold very well. Um, and, and when we say it hasn't sold very well, I mean, we're talking about the, the, the worldwide market for tablets is just absolutely a volcano. It's exploding right now, and neither of these companies are growing when it comes to tablets in any significant way. I mean, we're talking about rounding errors for the biggies um, like Android and iOS. So, um, you know, other Android tablets, I should say. So, you know, I don't think it ultimately really matters, unfortunately, for Nook, but but it, it will, I'll be curious to find out. And, and if you've you got to think that if it's a Windows platform that tablet runs on, that it's it's sort of these two companies are getting even more serious about working together, which you know, could be a good solution for Nook, which is not, you know, again, in such a great financial position. You know, and, and I agree. I think that, you know, the, the the way that I see things is Barnes & Noble hasn't really put out a new tablet for, this is almost getting on its second year. Uh, they didn't really do anything in, in 2013. Um you know, 2014, maybe at the end of the year. I think the only new device they released uh, last year was the Nook Glowlight. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but th that's that's sort of what I recall. But, you know, if you look at e-reading, if the only way that France customers and, and, and Europeans could read Nook press titles is through the Windows 8 app, it's like you're making them read on their PC. And statistically, people don't like to read on their PC. It's like they, they read on their phones. They, they read on their tablets. They read on their e-readers. And But with this like expansion, Nook is basically alienating its entire European customer base, other than the UK, because they sell e-readers and tablets there and have a UK store, but everywhere else, as well as their, you know, their future expansion plans, it's they're basically saying, you have to read on your PC or you have to buy like a Windows. Um, you know, tablet from our competitors. So you have to buy a Microsoft Surface or you have to buy like a, an Asus or you have to buy, you know, whoever else is is thrown down with Windows. But you're not, you know, I see Barnes & Noble is missing a golden opportunity by not marketing its own devices in those countries um, where people could actually buy and read those books on a, on a Barnes & Noble branded tablet. So as Barnes & Noble expands, they're basically shooting themselves in the foot by not going with Windows. I mean, we, we've seen that Barnes & Noble has sunk a lot of money into marketing tablets and, and hardware uh, and against companies that just, quite frankly, have way deeper pockets than Barnes & Noble. I mean, you know, uh, the quarterly revenue of Amazon, which is the smallest of these competitors, is twice as large or more than twice as large as Barnes & Noble is as a company all year. Um, so they just don't have the deep pockets. And, and yes, invest, uh, and Microsoft made a big investment, Pierce made a big investment, but you know, $25 million a year for international expansion, it's not even like bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's like bringing a pillow to a gunfight. <laughs> um, you know, if you look at the competitors, you've got um, you know, Google and Apple and Amazon. And you know, I, I'm going to say Kobo here too, because Kobo has a deep-pocketed parent in Rakuten, which which really owns e-commerce in Japan and a lot of um, other countries in East Asia. So, um, you know, 
I see what you're saying. It seems like it would be very much an uphill battle for Barnes & Noble to win market share in these companies without going out with a strong sort of hardware slash software play. Uh, on the other hand, you know, that is a big investment, and it's very, very risky for a company that is being, you know, underwritten by a chain of 1,300, you know, bookstores in the U.S., uh, which is not exactly a growth business in itself, even though it's a fairly healthy business for the company as it is. So, um, you know, I think that Barnes & Noble has got to worry about more than just am I going to succeed in building an e-reading business in Italy. It has to worry about its overall business uh, here in the U.S., which is still, you know, quite healthy. All right. So now that we kind of talked about uh, the main aspects of the London Book Fair, let's talk about some of the bigger stories that have happened uh, within about the last week. Uh, first of all, uh, Fire TV. And uh, this is a new, uh, you know, a new ultra slim box that's meant to compa compete with uh, Roku and Apple TV and everything like that. Um, it has gaming elements, so you can actually buy a game controller and play Android games designed for the Fire TV. Uh, Amazon Studios is investing uh, heavily in, in talent responsible for some mega franchises to pump out their own games. Um, Jeremy, overall, like, you know, Fire TV shipping right now, do you think that it'll succeed in the marketplace? Um, I think it will. I think it will because um, this sort of set-top box connecting to the Internet thing is just becoming popular. And Amazon is a huge sales and marketing platform through its e-commerce sites that people visit, people visit all the time. I mean, Amazon basically rammed the Kindle Fire down everyone's throats, and people bought it, and people like it. And maybe the first version or two weren't that great, but now they're up to speed with the other tablets and you know, has a very large market share. Um, so I do think Amazon has a very good chance of being successful with this. I don't think it really overall impacts the book business all that much um, no. because it is sort of part of this large sort of we have an Amazon ecosystem and you'll be a part of it. But these ecosystems are so low risk and low cost to be a part of that you can really easily be part of more than one. Um, you know, so there are people that have um, you know, Vcast on their TV and they have a Kindle and they have an iPad and then they, they interact with content through all three of those ecosystems very inexpensively. I mean, you can very easily have Amazon Prime and Netflix at the same time and Hulu at the same time. Um, it's very inexpensive, especially if you compare it to sort of your traditional cable television bill and media spend uh, if you transition that to digital. Um, so I don't think it's going to help Amazon necessarily crush its competition, but it helps Amazon you know, have a seat at that table of we are one of those places where we are literally everywhere that you want to be, and, and even more places, which I'm sure we're going to discuss soon. Yeah, uh, speaking of more places, Probably the biggest story in digital, uh, I think, is Amazon purchasing Comixology. Now, for those of you that don't know, uh, Comixology is the largest digital comic distribution platform. Uh, they have arrangements with DC, Marvel, Archie, and a number of, of mega franchises. So not only does Comixology sell the comics, but they've also developed the apps in which you can buy and read comics for Marvel and DC. So when you download the Marvel Comics app on your iPad, it's actually powered and designed by Comixology. So one of the, the big, I mean, we don't know the figures and we don't really know uh, how much, you know, Amazon had paid Comixology, but 
we all saw this coming, at least I did. I mean, the writing was on the wall, I guess, for about the last year that uh, Amazon had their eyes on Comixology as being uh, one of the last pieces of the puzzle for their digital business that they didn't have. Um, Comixology Guided View was probably the most polished, which allowed you to basically um, read comics frame by frame as opposed to just having all frames dis displayed on your tablet at the same time. And Amazon had made their own, but it, it really sucked. So I could really kind of see Amazon using this guided view technology, not only in their own comics, but also in PDF files as well to be able to, you know, isolate frames a little bit more concisely. Uh, before we get into the nitty gritty, what are your impressions of this whole deal? Um, you know, I think that you, you, you nailed it with the technology side, but I think the larger and more obvious play for Amazon is, you know, gobbling up market share in digital comics. I mean, as far as I know, there are two major players, Comixology and Marvel. And uh, Comixology is, reported, is rumored to be a nine-figure company right now. That's not nothing. Um, and uh, Amazon wants that market share. It's, it's not a huge part of Amazon's overall business, but in terms of its digital business, its digital content business, that's going to add a nice piece. Um, and I think Amazon wants to, you know, it not just wants to play in that market, wants to have, be a significant player in that market and, and no better way than to buy up the most significant player right now. So most comic like uh, ecosystems out there. If you look at iBooks, if you look at Google Books, if you look at uh, Kobo, Barnes & Noble, and even Amazon, they all sell comics, but they all just sell graphic novels. None of them sell single-issue comics. Uh, the only notable exception is DC and Google reaching out an agreement actually last week where DC is going to push out single-issue comics via Google Play. So Amazon will obviously with this comiXology deal finally be able to sell single issue comics in its kindle store because a lot of people don't know this but with graphic novels graphic novels are basically you know issue one to six bundled like in a graphic novel format so instead of buying the single issues you can just buy the graphic novels and then you get you know six or seven comics within that one book well by the time you buy that book it's a little bit outdated so a lot of people buy single issues to keep on top of the story so every week or every two weeks if you're following like a big series like Avengers versus X-Men or Day of Ultron or you know the, the, these big things fear itself you know the, these big uh, events that take like six or seven months to uh, from inception to a final conclusion the comic lovers you know will use comicsology to buy each issue the day it comes out whereas a lot of the ecosystems you got to actually wait like five or six months before the series concludes before the graphic novels are released so it kind of alienates the most serious comic lover so with this comicsology deal i could see amazon finally appealing to those serious comic lovers and actually be able to have like a wider distribution platform than comicsology had on its own but my question is why did Amazon pull the trigger and buy Comixology? Why didn't Apple do it or Kobo or Barnes & Noble do it? They were pretty well one of the most strategic acquisition targets in digital right now. I mean, on their own, um, they've been doing gangbuster business since like 2007. Uh, they're based in New York. They've expanded to the UK, to France. Um, 
they're doing very brisk business. My question, Jeremy, is why did Amazon pull the trigger and not anybody else? Well, I think that there is a, you know, that's a good question. I think there's a good obvious answer is that that is, this is the kind of thing that Amazon uh, does well and that those other companies don't do the, the big sort of content distribution acquisitions the same way. Um, you know, Google seems to really buy, is almost a conglomerate with all the different kinds of technologies that it buys. Um, I think Apple is, is very, very similar, and Apple sort of is very selective if you look at its acquisition history over the past 10 years, you know, very high-end, very future-thinking technologies. Amazon has been the company that's really said, look, we're going to just buy this platform, and we're going to bolt it onto what we've got going on. I think Goodreads is a great example. Yeah. Um, of doing that. I think buying, you know, some of the lists of some of the publishers that it bought when it first launched Amazon Publishing, um, that's a good example of that. You know, I don't think Amazon needs to have the company be a 100%, you know, cultural and technology and branding fit for it to say we can make something of this and, and make those acquisitions. So I don't see a company like Apple going out there and making that acquisition necessarily. Probably in Apple's DNA is the idea that it can um, you know, build it better if it wants to. Um, and uh, Apple does have a comics play. Um, so to me, it makes sense that Amazon would be the, the acquisitor here. The only other company that I could see that would sort of kind of make sense would be Barnes & Noble. Um, but Barnes & Noble, as we've seen time and time again, has squandered opportunities to um, you know, make the right acquisition at the right time. Yeah, no, totally. And I think that that's like, you know, I, I would probably say just Barnes and Noble management is not forward thinking. It's like, it's, it's cheaper and more effective just to maintain whatever depleted market share that they have or, or the status quo rather than saying, you know, let's spend the money and buy this company that, you know, grew organically and is the biggest player in digital comics. You know, why do that when we could just, you know, release new ebooks every month and, you know, maybe expand Nook Press, you know, it's, I don't know. I, you know, it just seems like time and time again, just Barnes and Noble and Kobo too. They just like miss all these opportunities to grow their business exponentially. And instead of like focus on acquiring content that they could basically make proprietary and not make available anywhere else it's like you know let's expand it to this new country let's do this you know instead of like growing their business they're just focusing on expansion and i, I don't know if that's the right play um you know i i don't know either and i don't want to say that the executives aren't forward thinking you know there are probably lots of things going on um around these decisions that we aren't necessarily aware of um, really? But, you know, it sure—it's possible, yeah. But, it's but, possible. You know, I, I just don't like to jump to those kinds of conclusions without really knowing. Yeah. But um, you know, it's—it's it, it's also very likely um, that you know they just can't—they don't have the deep pockets that Amazon has, uh, or maybe it just wasn't part of the com company's strategic fit. It may have a different overall strategic thinking. Um, you know, but I would be very surprised if they were completely in the darkest to, you know, these things happening. You know, it was rumored that Barnes & Noble was going to buy Goodreads at some point, um, and that fell through. So, um, you know, I don't think we really know for sure. Um, but that said, uh, you know, it, it is very tough luck for, for Barnes & Noble to, to go through uh, these things. Okay, so one of the things that 
about this deal that I'm kind of worried about is if Amazon shutters Comixology and just integrates the platform into its own ecosystem, uh, what does that mean for... You know, like we kind of talked about all during the show about Amazon prospectively shortchanging indie authors um, with being very uh, aggressive in getting better deals out of the publishers, you know, for the wholesale model, which is how Amazon really started its tangible book business and then its ebook business. You you have a contract with a publisher, you build you sell a ton of titles and then it's time to, you know, I think we should get a dollar less a title, you know, and they're super aggressive in that. So do you think that Amazon is going to be very aggressive with comic book publishers saying that, you know, we want better margins. You're going to give us this content at cheaper prices. Uh, I don't see why not. Um, you know, w- what's the point of acquisitions? You, you don't just buy a company because you like it. You buy a company because you think that it's an investment that eventually someday will pay off. Um, so one of the ways that you make investments uh, of companies work is that you um, find ways to make the companies more efficient. And one of the ways is to drive down costs. You drive down costs by uh, you know, having your suppliers charge you less for what they're giving you. Um, so I think absolutely that that is a um, you know, very likely uh, scenario that maybe not right away, um, but at some point in the not-too-distant future that we will see uh, that these... Um, these publishers get charged more. Yeah, that, that I see that happening. Like I, you know, I I don't have confirmation, and you know, no little birdies have spoken to me. But given Amazon's DNA of aggressively getting the lowest price out of everybody, it makes sense to see that they're going to do that with comic book publishers. And I don't think comic publishers are used to that. They've never been told historically to you know. To drive down prices or to uh, charge, you know, to charge less, and I, 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 this might be off-putting, especially to companies like Marvel that are owned by Disney, where they just might be resistant to it. And I, I, I do know for a fact. Um, and I've written about it a number of times that you know Marvel is developing its own app, its own system to sell comics, its own. Well, doesn't it already do that? Well, I thought Marvel already sold its own comics. They don't. They 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 distribute it through Comicsology. The only thing mm. that Marvel sells is uh, subscriptions to its unlimited program, which is basically classic comics. So, um, you know, comics from the '80s, comics from the '90s. Uh, I think that there's like twelve thousand of them, and you know, it's like the Netflix of comics. You pay like uh, nine dollars, and it's like you could download and read as many comics as you want. So that that's with they own but they want to get more involved like they want to have a comic subscription platform they want to sell comics themselves they want to do like a comic retailer program where you know retailers could get commissions by you know uh, but from their patrons buying the digital comics like they have grand plans and I think that these plans may be a little bit fast tracked now that Amazon owns Comixology because that was the only way that Marvel 
pushed comic sales onto Android and, and iOS and, you know, uh, Windows 8 and all these things. It's all comicsology. And, you know, I see in the not too distant future that Amazon, you know, either shutter comicsology or really put the emphasis on if you want first run titles, you have to come to us and that'll limit these comic publishers uh, perspective audience pool. So I can see Marvel and, and DC and companies like that put less emphasis on comicsology, so less eggs in one basket and start developing like their own platforms because, you know, really Amazon could very well leave comicsology to its own devices, sort of what they did with Zappos, uh, the shoe company, mm -hmm. or sort of what they did with Goodreads where it's like, you know, we're not going to provide a lot of oversight. You guys can continue to do your own thing, but we're eventually going to integrate, you know, some of your stuff into our products. Amazon could very well do that. But at the same time, this whole deal I see is very worrying for the publishing industry just because of the air of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. That makes complete sense. All right. So before we wrap up the show, uh, we've been going for a very strong 40 minutes here on some very excellent conversations. Um, what do you got going on this week? What's new? Um, we're just really excited about an April 30th webcast that we're doing in partnership with so many great partners. It, it's Huffington Post Books and Digital Book World putting together. Uh, we're talking to um, Book Riot, uh, Electric Literature, a number of, of others, and we have their, their bloggers on with us. And we're also going to look at some bestseller data to um, look at what are ebook readers actually reading? Um, you know, I think a lot of what it gets done in publishing is done with the gut. Um, telling us, you know, what are readers reading, what are readers interested in, and uh, we are going to talk to people who sort of use to put their finger on the pulse, as it were, um, and try to figure out what ebook readers are reading. But we're also going to look at bestseller data uh, to see, you know, what's actually really selling out there. Um, so I'm really excited for that, and I'm really focused on that right now. And, and you know, we've come back from the UK with some great ideas and some great plans and ways to continue to serve. Uh, our readers and uh, maybe some new readers over in Europe. So um, we'll we'll uh, be coming out with some of that stuff shortly. All right. So with our website, uh, Goody Reader, we have actually unveiled some pretty cool technology uh, in the last uh, week or so. Um, so as everyone knows, we have an app store at apps.goodyreader.com. And uh, we've actually introduced two great features that have been lacking for some time. Uh, one is an update notification system. So uh, our app store, unlike probably all the others, is it's exclusively curated. So uh, we have a small team of people that um, daily are looking for like the best apps, the best new apps out there out of the thousands released every day. And we put them on our site. And, you know, some sites like Google constantly hype, you know, we have a million apps and Amazon constantly hypes, you know, we have 350,000 apps, you know, we have 30,000 apps, but they're all really good. And um, one, right. of the, one of the pitfalls of a curated system is that sometimes apps can get out of date because we don't have automatic features to like automatically update apps. So we introduced the update notification system. So if you're uh, in installed an app or if you're using an app from our site and you say, hey, you know, a new version is available, but that new version isn't on our site, uh, we have a little uh, notification flag next to the version number. So you can let us know. And within about six hours on average, uh, we're updating that app to the latest version, not only for Android, but for uh, BlackBerry and for Tizen 
and 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 things like that as well. Um, we also introduced a, a crazy new rating system. So. Um, our mobile apps, I guess, for about the last year have had like a ratings and review system. So uh, you download an app that you like, you can rate it one out of five stars, you can leave a written review if you want. And now we've introduced that same feature into the web-based uh, version, but we're actually pulling a lot of data from our mobile clients. So most of our apps all have ratings and reviews now, but we've added a lot of synergy. So if you add a rating on an app on our website, it's automatically sync to the mobile client now so um, it's kind of cool because it sort of um, gives people uh, incentive to use both or either and or but they're getting the most current data on there so uh, we're making a lot more advances uh, with our website so you can continue to check um, if you have any feature requests you can send them to support at goodyreader.com and uh, for the next week not too much is uh, going on other than just development on the App Store. Of course, we always track uh, the latest and greatest news in publishing more with like a tech edge. Uh, but we are going to be starting a new retro review series um, probably next week where we're going to take a look at some of the e-readers of yesteryear and give modern reviews of them because, you know, Companies are still actively selling this junk, even though it's maybe like three or four years old. So we're going to kind of uh, approach these reviews with fresh eyes and give you a perspective if it's a buy or if it's a miss. So uh, you've been listening to the Giddy Reader Radio Show with uh, Michael and Jeremy Greenfield of Digital Book World. You can leave a comment on this video or on this audio podcast if you have any questions or concerns. If you're listening to this on iTunes, uh, you can visit... Uh, goodyreader.com or you can visit Digital Book World. So for Michael and Jeremy, everybody take care.